Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Womanhood and International Relations podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Bonilla, and for today's episode, we will be making a review of the latest documentary featuring in Netflix, Seaspiracy. This is the first time that I'm reviewing a movie, a documentary, an entertainment uh, production for this podcast and I was wondering whether to say it out loud. Um, I know that we are going to be having our Facebook live and Instagram live on this conversation so you're more welcome to join us tomorrow um, March 30th on my Instagram account and my Facebook account but I wanted to provide a gender lens perspective to what this documentary offers. So if you haven't watched this documentary, I have to say, spoiler alert. <laughs> In case you're planning to see it or watch it, um, I suggest you press pause from this moment on because we will be um, talking about different scenarios, different interviews that this um, documentary showcase. So yeah, I'm gonna stay silent for you to press pause and continue on. Okay, so if you're still here because you've watched this documentary or even if you don't care about watching it but you know you have read what the documentary is about then I will um, share with you a two-part uh, review on this documentary with a gender lens perspective. The first part will focus more on the research and the thematic, the thematic areas of this um, presentation of this uh, film. And the second part will focus on the documentary production itself. In terms of the thematic areas, the different um, conversations that this film sparks are not that different from other documentaries that you probably have seen before. It talks about the different dynamics that are often hidden beyond all these zero plastic campaigns. Um, how environmental groups, civic society organizations, and even nonprofit organizations um, often focus on the symptom rather than the cause. And the symptom being, you know, the huge and heavy load of awareness on no microplastics usage, but not enough, you know, uh, awareness or pressure to ban fishing, to ban several uh, practices of fishing. Um, one of the data that really struck me um, I'm, I'm not a fish person, <laughs> I've never been, um, I'm allergic to fish uh, from a very shyly, shyly age. I also have this theory that, you know, like, I, I don't want to eat anything from the sea because as I was a kid, um, I used to think, oh my god, fishes poop on the water, so anytime that I go in the water, I'm, you know, swimming in their poop. Yeah, that was me when I was very early, so... I've never been a fan to the ocean, although I come from a Caribbean island, I'm more a forest kind of woman, and I love rivers, and yes, there are fish at the river, so it's not like, you know, I'm escaping the fishes, but 
you know, it's, it's different, you know, it's salty water, it's, you can't drink it, you know, it's other things. Um, but I've never been uh, a, fash, a fan to fish. I only eat once in a blue moon sushi and I often have to have my claritin afterwards because my throat closes down if I eat fish. So that's not part of my diet and now after watching this documentary definitely it's not gonna be part of my diet because it's so so hard to grasp the extension of damage that we are doing to our oceans and I think that this documentary portrays it very well it portrays that while these environmental organizations and you know conservation initiatives etc let's help the oceans and let's make certifications and logos and all that um, are not necessarily ringing true to what they're talking about with what they're sharing about and they're not actually tackling the big elephant in the room yeah microplastics are a problem in the ocean and there's a narrative that has been you know showcased in the media international media and local media as well that it is you know the little um how is it straws plastic straws that are causing a lot of damage according to this movie once again there needs to be fact checking on everything that they share 46% of all the plastics that are found in the ocean come from fish nets or fishing gear. It doesn't come from the straws, which a point or account for 0.05% of the plastics in the ocean, according, once again, to this documentary. So if that's true, that's something that can be you know verified then this documentary showcases the different power dynamics that occur in the non-profit sector the non-governmental organizations and institutions and research centers on the oceans etc to continue staying afloat continue being funded because they're not talking about fishing or the fishing industry because that will mean attacking livelihoods of you know fishermen that will mean attacking culture from several countries that depend on fishing industry and that will also and ultimately affect the economy of not only uh, restaurants, food industry, or, you know, um, beauty industry that depends on fish, like, for example, you know, like um, regular lipsticks, non-sustainable, non-organic lipsticks often are created with fish oils and fish um, elements that will definitely spiral a bigger effect on the way that we engage economically and what is not being talked and barely was touched upon in this documentary and i think it is for safety reasons how connected is the fishing industry worldwide 
to drug trafficking and to human trafficking and human exploitation. And of course, for safety reasons, we can imagine he says it as well in the documentary that they have not gone that deep on these specific um, related causes, okay? If you are an environmentalist, if you're an ecofeminist, if you want to learn more about the ocean, about what's going on beneath the waters, how overfishing, how the killing of whales, how the um, big fish nets operate underwater, how the media has narrated that you know, coral reefs are dying because of climate change, but not enough attention is being paid to the fishing industry, which if you change or if you alter the fishing um, chain or the fish chain, because, you know, the big fish eat the smaller fish and the smaller fish eat, eat the other fish, you know, if you don't talk about it and you only frame that coral reefs are dying <laughs> because of climate change and the heating of temperatures, but you don't address that, you know, the heating temperatures in the water are also an effect of overfishing, of taking away whales and dolphins and, and, and sharks because of eating purposes or because of pricing, you know, like having a prize or, you know, like a, a you know, this having like winner prize, etc. or, you know, being a luxury item or a gourmet item or whatever that you're still missing a point. So I think this documentary in that part of the research was good to highlight and to frame the real cause that is still being unattended. Another thing that this documentary showed was how frail environmental organizations are. Frail in terms of funding survival when most of their funding comes from government forces or private sector and it doesn't come from the people or at a community or grassroots level their morals values cultures programs are compromised to the guidelines that are being established by these huge donors it, it isn't very clear in this documentary in terms of research it isn't very clear the origins of these organizational structures i think that's like a task that we are being left with as audiences so definitely they are not tackling the cause and they are focusing on the symptom and they are ad advocating and launching probably some of them moral causes and moral um, campaigns, you know, like making us all people feel bad about our lifestyle choices without actually focusing on who's the one or who are the ones 
behind the destruction of the oceans. And yes, I, I truly understand and I truly agree that we can start at home <laughs> with our purchasing uh, choices, with our recycling methods, and you know whether we are living a sustainable life or not. Yes, I totally agree. But what this documentary shows is that that only amounts for a minimum, a bare minimum of what's happening inside our deep sea, deep blue sea. And these are big, big companies and big interests that are being held there that probably most of us do not even understand. Like, this is the first time that I'm learning about this. And I've watched other um, documentaries like Blackfish and, you know, other um, Cowspiracy, The Cove. You know, I've seen other documentaries, but never have I ever <laughs> wonder, oh, who's behind? Like, who's doing overfishing? And what are the companies? And this documentary does that. So that's a plus. That's something good to, you know, like to grasp. Is naming governments, is naming companies, and is giving faces to the problem. If I include a gender lens to the research part, something that really struck me was understanding the level of the wounded masculine effect over the planet. What we see here is the wounded masculine taking over, ravaging, or ravaging, I don't know how is it uh, spelled in English, the undersea waters without any accountability, without any structure, without any limits, and without any care of the feminine. It's a huge disbalance or disequilibrium of nature, of man over nature. Humanic masculinity is not the same when we are talking about the wounded masculine. And if you're interested about this, we can definitely have another episode on this. I will list below uh, another episode that I think will uh, bring light to this, which is the androcentric versus the gynocentric view of the world. But here we have the androcentric as well as the anthrocentric, which is the man or the human being at the center. And everything else revolves around a human being instead of it being interconnected. So it's the wounded masculine what we are seeing there. And the feminine is being conquered. A feminine, we can find several analogies throughout this documentary from the whales, the dolphins, the fishes, to the ocean, the water itself, which is considered a feminine element, a feminine, um, stereotypically feminine energy associated. Water is also connected to the emotional world. And when you're taking over the underwater seas and, you you know, even like devastating the, the undersea ground floor, the sea floor, getting scraped, 
getting cleaned, getting devastated by Hades' wrath. Hades, the god of, you know, the underworld, he forced Persephone to marry himself. Uh, you know, it's a whole Greek mythology thing that we can talk about. Um, but that definitely exemplifies the wrath of Hades. But this is a very non-emotional, non-logical, and even routinary practice. There were some gruesome statistics to talk about. Like, for example, how, for example, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill that lasted three months during the Gulf of Mexico did not make a huge effect as just one fishing day in the Gulf of Mexico. So one fishing day in the Gulf of Mexico is worse than three months of oil spill by the deep water horizon, according to this documentary, you know? So keep, keep in mind that. <laughs> Another um, difficult statistic to swallow is that it is expected that by 2048, we will have empty oceans due to warming sea temperatures and due to this um, overfishing, but not necessarily fishing to eat. It's just killing for killing's sake. Not even to sustain a living hood, not even to eat because you're hungry is is for other purposes that this documentary only scraps the surface because it's not getting you know deep into um but you know what happens with environmentalists that want to you know do their work better they get often shot off and killed which is something that he addresses too so that's on the research part Lastly, on the second part, on the production, the documentary production side. What we can see is that the documentary follows through the hero's journey. If you're not conscious about storytelling and what you see often in movies in the Hollywood um, industry is The Hero's Journey by Joseph Campbell. And this is a storyline um, that goes back to ancient Greece um, where you have a hero, in this case the documentary filmmaker itself, he's the hero. Um, he appears himself in first person during the whole um, documentary relating his own experience and yes, um, it is compelling, you know, like that's how it hooks you to go in this journey with him. This documentary took over two, three years to get done. So you can see that part of the process and how it evolves. This hero gets presented with a quest. Very early on, we see that he felt that no matter how much, um, you know, recycling and changing to sustainability courses and all that he tried 
it wasn't making a difference or a very meaningful impact. And he wanted to know after donating to many campaigns where his money was going to and whether or not it was actually making an impact. So he began this journey and then with a specific premise of the whales, he started seeing that there was a whole overlooked issue which was the fishing industry. So it follows the hero's journey. I don't think that it's a critic in itself. I mean, there are other ways that you can approach the hero's journey. The gender lens conversation on the hero's journey is a very hegemonic masculinity one. It is not embracing other types of masculinity. It's, it's placing the man as the savior, as the hero that gets presented all these obstacles, the world is against him, and then he tries to survive, learn, and you know, reach the sun at the end, you know, becoming this big um, celebrity, you know, like you champion the cause. So that is the, the main criticism to the hero's journey from a lens perspective, a gender lens perspective. We can bring a bit of race. So I wonder if this documentary was filmed by a non-white person, regardless of the gender, whether it would have led to as many places as this guy covered because he was a white man from apparently the UK, British accent. You know, he's not a white guy from the global south or a non-white person from other um, continent that is not European. So from the get-go, you have these white lenses, white savior complex playing throughout the whole movie with all the privilege that it entails and with all the victimism that can be placed upon, oh, I try to save the world, but you know, I cannot say much because I may get killed as if other people have not done it before. I mean, he, to be fair, um, he does um, makes a tribute to other female and male environmental leaders that got killed because of trying to expose these truths in several countries. So yes, to be fair, yeah, he did that in the documentary itself. So that was good. But you you're left wondering what kind of access would other people from different nationalities have when he got exposed to human trafficking rings and he could flee very easily Thailand without any problem. I wonder if he wasn't white, if he didn't have that nationality, whether he would have had the same luck of just fleeing after he did the, the interview, etc. Which is, you know, another problem of wounded masculine is that, you know, I cover what I like, I take what I needed and do not necessarily care all the mess that I did before or that I left behind. So you are left wondering if 
the filmmaker is practicing or continuing the same dynamics that it seeks to critique with his documentary. Another point that also made me question was why we couldn't hear he has a, a girlfriend in the documentary. She was not shown, only twice appeared on camera, but he, she didn't say anything to camera. So he was doing all these travels, just him. I mean, I understand that maybe she doesn't want to talk and that's okay, but it was just a bit weird that the only women in this whole conversation that we got to see, because there were only a few women that got interviewed, didn't have a voice. Once again, I totally understand as a documentary filmmaker myself that sometimes you travel with other people that do not necessarily want to get in front of the camera to tell their story. So I totally get it. So I'm just here, you know, portraying these different gender dynamics. So there's more room to explore. Um, also, the other side of how stories are framed. I am left saying to you that yes, this documentary is worth watching. That yes, it's difficult to watch. If you have watched Blackfish, if you have watched Cowspiracy and other documentaries on environmentalism and etc., then this would not have taken you for surprise. Um, also, a last thing that I forgot to mention was that in the positive outlook, the positive side, it, it the documentary ends rushing the positivity, rushing for like five to ten minutes before closing statements or closing credits. It talks about a positive bright side, like for example, there's no sustainable fishing at all. It doesn't exist according to this documentary. But Sea Shepherd organization is amazing, is doing an amazing work, etc. So they're portrayed as these heroes, but we don't see him, the filmmaker, making the thorough investigation on Sea Shepherd as he did to other companies. So that for me was a bit of a, you know, like, where are you? Um, you know, you're critic critiquing all these organizations as if everything that they're doing is bad, but then you're portraying Sea Shepherd as the only good organization that's doing everything good, you know? So I don't like these extremes at personally, and also, you know, as a researcher myself and documentary filmmaker, I don't like extremes. It's like every organization, everybody <laughs> um, has, you know, pros and cons and, you know, there are a lot of gray areas in a lot of works and that is not shown in a in an interesting light and I wonder why. Like who funds Sea Shepherd? Who funds, you know, like specific initiatives? Like that's not very clear after doing all these accountability measures to all these other organizations, we we are left with that beautiful image of the savior company often we saw on camera often white people 
um, so the white savior complex continues on. I don't know, um, but these are my takes, um, my review of um, disease piracy. I definitely recommend it. I invite you to watch it, and if you're interested, you can join us tomorrow, March 30th, for an Instagram Live where we will be discussing on community. Um, that will be at 5 p.m. Um, Central Time in Mexico time. I think it's going to be 7 p.m. Eastern Time. So I look forward to um, discussing with you and engaging in a better conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in and talk to you soon.